let's jump into it. Second Thessalonians. We're in chapter three. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass one to you. Last week, Austin took us through the first few verses of chapter three there in Second Thessalonians, and he did a phenomenal job. Can we just acknowledge Austin? What an incredible pastor in our community. The fact that our youth get pastored by him and You know, a lot of times youth pastors don't get the opportunity to preach, but once a year, Youth Sunday, which is the one around New Year's Eve, you know, that no one really goes to. That is not our culture here. You know, I'm so grateful for our teaching team, the fact that we believe it's Jesus who leads his church, and he's going to speak through a variety of voices, and we're all going to be better for it. We don't need to be accustomed to any one person. Uh, and, And Austin just did phenomenal, giving this blessing, you know, through the voice of Paul to the Thessalonian church. You know, he's telling the church, you know, they're going to be protected by God. They're going to be given strength by God. You know, the more that we trust in the faithfulness of God, the more that we know we're going to lack nothing. And that was an important message for the Thessalonians to hear because they were dealing with a lot of issues. They had, number one, these divisive beliefs that were propagating in the church, and we're going to find this week, as we continue in chapter 3, there were also some divisive behaviors that were propagating in the community. If you've been walking with us, you understand that the theological issue, the false teachings that were being promoted, were these ideas that were coming from within the community of Christians that were saying that Jesus had already returned for his second coming, and it had happened in some sort of spiritual way, and they had become more enlightened as a result. And there was a group that had experienced that second coming and that enlightenment, and then there was a group that had missed out. So that was the ideas that were sort of circulating, but it was actually promoting also these false behaviors. The group that was saying, hey, we've experienced this new heavenly reality. We pulled heaven forward into our present experience. That had become a justification for them to, one, quit working, and two, start freeloading on the Christian community. Convenient how that works out, you know? They have higher enlightenment, now they can just chill. So how does Paul deal with this issue in the church. What does he say and what can we learn from it? Let's read here together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. The verses will also be on the screens. Paul tells them, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example." We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have a right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Let's pause there this morning. So it's obvious, right? We've got some issues here. False teaching producing false behavior, and it's disrupting this healthy Christian community. Guys are going around claiming that higher spiritual enlightenment, and it's so funny how this always works out this way. It's very ironic that 
A lot of times when people go around claiming higher spiritual enlightenment, they're also indulging earthly desires with that higher enlightenment. You know, it, it, it's funny when you got these cult leaders who are like, I have obtained the next level of spiritual truth, and I can share it with you. Give me all your money and your wives. You know, like, it, oh, that's always the next sentence. Like, the, the first is the pitch of like, if you listen to me, you're going you're gonna to get all this enlightenment, heavenly enlightenment, and then all of a sudden the earthly motivations are right behind. And in this case, these individuals have called heaven forward, and it's become this excuse for them to kick up their feet and have everybody else serve them. So Paul says to them in verse 11, they're not busy. They're busy bodies. And he really is that clever in the original language. There's a play on words here where he's saying, yeah, they're not getting on with the things of God. They're just stirring up a bunch of trouble. And, and I found this in church community and in ministry that oftentimes those who are most disruptive in the community and in ministry are those who have the least amount of skin in the game. Uh, but more on that later in a moment. Paul cites his own example in correcting these guys. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, look, I'm an apostle of Christ. You know, we were sent by God to share with you the gospel. And, you know, I, I could have leveraged that. I had a right to call upon your support in this ministry. He says that in verse 9, and it was a right that he took up in other churches. But he says, in your case... We, me and my companions, worked day and night among you and never asked for a penny. And his purpose in that was twofold. First of all, Paul was looking to leave a model for others to emulate, this standard for the church of contribution. The church is built on contribution, right? We, we are a community as the people of God. We share a common unity, the practice of community among us is that spiritual word fellowship. That's not a word that's used in a lot of other settings. It's used in the church. The Greek word behind fellowship is this word koinonia. It's root meaning to share, to participate, to contribute. That's fellowship. And in Acts, you see how this plays out in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together and had all things in common, meaning they shared all things. But it didn't take very long for all things in common to become all things drama for the early church. And that's what the rest of the New Testament tells us. Like, anytime there's a good thing and a bunch of people are being humble and gracious and generous with each other, there's going to be some opportunists who see a platform that they can leverage to serve their own self-interest. And that occurred in the Thessalonian church with these folks who come in and they're now unwilling to work. And they're just eating everybody else's bread that they worked for. And in other places in the New Testament, you hear about these false leaders who come into churches, you know, earning their right to a living for the gospel, but they weren't making a living off the gospel. They made a killing off the gospel, as many people are still doing to this day. So as I said, in number one here, Paul left his example to protect this culture of contribution in the church, that it's built on shared participation. Guys, it's sort of like these free little libraries that are popping up everywhere. Have you seen these free little libraries that are popping up in a suburban neighborhood near you? We've, we had one. It was on the school campus. There's a private school in our neighborhood here in Huntington, and it got moved. It got moved to the house next door. So I don't know. I think we're losing a sense of community there at the school. They said, get rid of those books from our front lawn. So they had to move it to one of our neighbor's houses, and 
you know, it's, it's like built like a bird box, you know, a birdhouse, and it's got the little door. It's usually colorful, right? And inside, you give a book, take a book kind of a thing. And, but if you look in it, it's a little sad, isn't it? It's a little sad. I mean, I don't know about your neighborhood. Maybe your neighborhood has the greatest free little library that ever existed. Ours, you look in there, and the pages are all kind of torn up, and it's like old romance novels. You know, it's like, wait a minute, is this suited for this? Like, this whole thing appears to be marketed for children, and yet it looks like somebody looked at that and said, oh, great, a place to throw away all the trash books I don't want. You know, it's a dumpster. So I'm telling you, like, great idea, great vision. The community's going to come together with this free little library and give a book, take a book. But if everyone takes, it literally becomes a trash can. Guys, that's, that's church community. We get out of it what we put into it together. And no doubt there is this American serve me first mentality that produces the same sort of idleness and freeloading that those individuals were experiencing in the Thessalonian church. It's, 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 across America, there's lots of churches filled with Americans who are saying, you know, I'm going to get something out of this experience for me. And they're never going to volunteer, and they're never going to participate in anything, and they're never going to contribute financially. And who suffers because of their non-contribution? It's not just them. It's all of us in the community. You know, a chef knows you put junk into a dish, you're going to get junk out of a dish. I mean, it's, it's simple. You know, there's, there's no magic to cooking. If you, if you use horrible ingredients, there isn't some magic wand that you use when you heat it up and it's good on the other side. I mean, test me this. You take the floured broccoli and that stinky pork and throw it in a stew. See what you get. I mean, if you put all that in a dish and you give it some time and you cook it, you're going to get something that's repulsive on the other side. And that's the church when we bring our worst or nothing at all. It's a potluck where a lot of people go away hungry. Case in point, right now, we don't have enough kids volunteers. And we haven't since we came back in person some time ago. You know, I got a message just a couple days ago. I've gotten a lot of these text messages. Hey, guys, prepare that your kids might not be in their rooms. And the reason is there's not enough volunteers. And, and I don't know how you guys hear this. Maybe you say, well, that's a problem with some programming going on in the church somewhere else. That's our problem as a church. That's our problem. And let me help set it in context so that you understand how important this is to us. Because, you know, we have this mission to reach the city of Huntington Beach. And to see that, you know, families and kids of the city that don't know God are served and so come to know Him, Right? but we can't even meet our own needs of the families that are here. I mean, this is the next generation. There aren't a lot of young people from the next generation who are in a church on a Sunday. So we've got this amazing treasure of some young people who are here, and yet we're not providing enough mentors, enough space, for them to actually engage in community with their peers and so be developed. And then they get put back with their parents, who are also breaking all the trends and expectations of culture right now by being here. You know, they are not the normal individual, right? The fact that they're here means they're not just sleeping in on Sunday, enjoying another weekend day. They're not at the sports complex that I drive by on the way in that's absolutely jam-packed with families. 
they've tried to make the effort to be here. The kids get put back on them. They don't even feel like they can enter into the fellowship and get the thing that they're looking for in the whole situation. So, so what I'm saying is like, we can look at this and go, that's a programming issue over there in the corner of the church. And that means that the volunteers who said yes who are laboring end up with more weight upon their shoulders as they continue on in the good. You understand, like, that's not their problem. It's our problem. It's our mission. We have to make a way for these children to be accommodated in their classrooms, for these families to be served, for our volunteers to not get overwhelmed. Kids, if you got kids, it's like, okay, I'm going to take responsibility and pour back into the ministry that's pouring into my family. Or no kids. They are your kids. This is the kids of the church, of the family of God. They are our future. The point is, our church, not just in that setting, that's an illustrative of everything. The church, and we are the people of God, suffers for lack of participation, but thrives when we all contribute. As I said, Paul worked to protect that vision of community, that it's based on shared participation. I'm not going to freeload so that you guys have an example to emulate. But there was a second reason he worked. He was also working to protect the integrity and purity of the gospel message. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to this same church in chapter 2, verse 5. And I'm going to paraphrase as I go along. But he's trying to defend like his reputation and character with them so they know there's like purity in his messaging. He says, you know we never used flattery with you guys when we came into town. We didn't put a mask on. Anyone can put a mask on, talk spiritual, but it's really just a disguise for greed. They just want your money. We didn't do that. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people. We don't need to be famous. We don't need a platform. Not your praise, not anybody else's praise, though. We're apostles. (laughs) We're sent by God to bear salvation for you. So if we wanted to, we could assert ourselves, throw our titles around, be really special. Did we do that? No. We were like young children among you. Verse 9, he says, Surely remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached this gospel of God to you. You're our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, blameless, and righteous we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you not just like a child, but we were like a father, you know, who is encouraging you and comforting you to live lives worthy of this calling God has given you into his kingdom and glory. So this is the message that Paul is saying to the Thessalonian church. But do you understand the message beneath the message that he's communicating? He's saying, guys, we could have come into town for a big shakedown, and we could have leveraged this kingdom gospel platform to set ourselves up all high and mighty, and we kick up our feet And you guys wait on us and serve us. But if we live that way, it would call into question our ministry and even more than that, the message that we were bearing for all of you. So we can say, oh yeah, God's got this good news of grace and forgiveness for you and it really just benefits our personal lives. You're going to start to think, oh, is that what the gospel is about? So we wanted to make sure that nothing got in the way and there wasn't any mixed messaging and you know That our good behavior is a reflection of the goodness of the message that we're sharing with you. You see, God has made the mode of sharing his message through the vehicle of his people. That's what Paul was keenly aware of. He knew that, like, 
how I live is going to directly reflect to these people. They're going to interpret that that's the quality and the character of the message that I'm sharing. And that's, that's what he's telling to the Thessalonian church. He's saying, I'm keenly aware of that, so I was careful in how I lived in my examples I shared the gospel. Now I need you guys to be careful because you guys together, with all this weirdness going on, you've got to get it sorted out because you're the marketing strategy of God to the rest of the world so that they would receive the good news. But what if the marketing stinks? What if the product is unappealing? Guys, I want to share with you right now an image. It's a graphic image. Just brace yourself. You know, you maybe avert your child's eyes if they got kicked out of the classroom. There it is. Yeah, that's the... Uh, what is that, right? No, that's the, that's the new quesadilla burger from Applebee's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Barry Martinez, after last service, said the pastrami on that looks great. And I was like, I don't think that's pastrami. What is that? Right? That's the new quesadilla burger. Who asked for that? That's my question. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's delicious. Maybe. Maybe it's in your future. If you go to Applebee's today, there's a good chance you can see Barry Martinez ordering his pastrami quesadilla sandwich. And you can join him. You know, maybe it's all those things, but I think it's the end of the world. Like, literally, if you look at an image of that and then you choose to order it, you basically given up. That's what that communicates to me. You've given up on life. Like that, let me pull this all together, right? If people observe, and we can remove that. If people observe the church and they observe the Thessalonians, it's filled with all these idle and unproductive rumor mongers. What does that look like to the rest of the world? It's unappealing. It's unappetizing. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's worried about the message the church is conveying, and it's a different problem he's addressing. The church is coming together, and it's turning into like a wild spiritual circus. You know, everybody's having a great time in this frenzy, but he says if an outsider comes in and listens to what's happening, they're going to think you're out of your mind. And they're going to draw a straight line from what they're seeing in your behavior to what you're claiming you believe. The point is, we're the ad campaign. Our lives are the persuasive pitch always being observed by outsiders. Case in point, a couple days ago, I took my Ford in for like the third time for warranty service, fix or repair daily. Ha, 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 yes. Okay, I've heard it. <laughs> Not funny. So, my life. I take it in, I drop it off. And they have a shuttle service. It's Theodore Robbins Ford. It sounds very illustrious in Costa Mesa. Um, it's a two-minute drive to the coffee shop where I'm going to meet with somebody. And it, it, it's just starting my day, right? And, and so the shuttle driver you know, asked me as we start this two-minute drive over to the coffee shop there, uh, what are you doing this morning? And I say, well, I'm meeting with this individual. I'm a pastor. And we're going to have a coffee together. He goes, oh, I've had a lot of pastors in my shuttle over the years. You know, they're always trying to get me to sign up for this podcast or follow them on social media. And I said, bingo. I said, I don't have a social media. I said, you know, I understand that that can be the culture. And, you know, there's not always negative and ill intent behind it. But, you know, I could see how maybe you would get a perception from it that maybe it's sort of self-aggrandizing. You know, Jesus said that of his own 
you know, religious leaders of his time. He said, you know, these guys, watch out. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. You know, they, they love the seats of honor in the spiritual gatherings. He goes, yeah, you know, I, I had this friend who became a pastor, and I listened to him talk to one of his parishioners. We don't use that word, but somebody from the church on the phone, and it sounded like he was talking to one of his employees. And I said, well, you know, it can sort of be like that in the culture. I'm not saying anything is particularly wrong about that pastor. I don't know his heart, but, you know, yeah, the world kind of looks for authority in those terms. But Jesus, you know, he calls us to be shepherds. That's, that's the word picture behind pastors, shepherds of the flock. That, that was like a job of menial labor out in the field among the sheep, walking as one among them, caring for them and guiding them. Two-minute ride was over. I get out of the car. He goes, that was the most interesting two-minute spiritual conversation I've had. And I said, that's right. (laughs) Yes. You know? And it wasn't a gimmick, guys. I wasn't giving him this persuasive ad pitch. You know? He, He was listening. He was observing. He was linking pastor equals this. And I'm not saying it was completely wrong. But there was some mixed messaging going on. He was not getting the point. And it was leading him to some negative conclusions. And, and I didn't do anything particularly special. You know, I didn't even get to do anything except just pass on what was truth. To pass on what was, you know, of Jesus. And he was engaged by it. Because of course he would be engaged by it. Because Jesus is engaging to me. And like, I don't always get that right, but I got it right, that two minutes, all right? That's what I'm sharing with you. And we get to do that all the time. We can be that everywhere. But the Thessalonians, if they let this culture of idleness propagate, they were going to give the gospel a bad name among their neighbors. That's why Paul formerly gave them this model for evangelism in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, make it your ambition. Of course, Christians were talking evangelism and ambition. We're hyped. Like, we're ready. What, what is it, Paul? Turn us loose on the culture. Ambition and evangelism. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Oh, really? That kind of bums us out, doesn't it? That's our drive? To lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He's saying stop being these belligerent busybodies. Pipe down and let your life be so appealing that you'll win the respect of those who do not yet know God. You see, our mission, our mission, is to present to people the good news in such a way through our lives that they make this overt and obvious connection that the number one thing you get when you mix humanity and Jesus is the over-the-top, absolutely ridiculous, humble, self-sacrificial love of God. That's the number one thing you're going to project. That's the number one thing you're going to get. like... It should be so blatantly obvious to everyone. This is our job, our mission, to make it so obvious that there's not all this other stuff, right? 
But that when you mix humanity with Jesus, the number one thing you get is the love of God. And with it, the peace and joy and trust and faith that we have in him. And that's what's going to make us not dependent on anybody, but a giver. If we're modeling that love, if we're modeling that peace and joy, it's not going to make us these lazy freeloaders. It's going to make us motivated doers. You know, if people are being repelled by the truth of God in us, so be it. Like, I can stand on that. If you don't like what Jesus had to say, if you don't like the morality of the faith, if, if you don't like the reality of hell and judgment, and so you're repelled, like, if, if you don't like the truth, okay, that's fine. But if people are repelled by our behavior that does not align with the truth that we say we believe, then that's on us, and we have to amend our behavior to preserve the reputation of the gospel. This preservation of community and that protection for the gospel message that I've been talking about all morning is what motivates Paul to tell the church in verse 6 and in verse 14, don't associate with the troublemakers among you. Now, this is where people have a lot of questions. What? I'm not supposed to associate with people that aren't really living on the up and up? I get it. It's confusing. Jesus associated with sinners so closely, they thought he was a sinner. And yet we're called to be holy and set apart from the standards and values of the world. And then you've got, you know, verses that say, expel the immoral one from among you. And then you've got another verse that says, but restore the one caught in sin gently. So what's Paul on about here? Well, he's trying to preserve the culture of the community that remains healthy. If these rumors about Christ's return keep getting shared around, and if more and more people are just sort of, you know, facilitating these freeloaders on the church community, it's going to go from being like this issue on the fringe of the community to like the culture of the community. And that's what he's protecting it against. It's, it's sort of like when I'm out with the five kids and I'm parenting, I could have four kids who are behaving beautifully, wonderfully. They're saying, sir and ma'am, left and right. But if I have one who's losing their mind, I look like I'm in over my head. You know, people make a judgment about me based on the culture of my family. That, oh, that guy can't handle that. <laughs> one too many, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, see the four? You look at these four. They are so put together. Judge me based on them. And they're like, no, look at that one. That's losing it. And so Paul's saying, look, people are going to make those judgments about the Christian community, and you've got to deal with it right now before it's not a one-to-five ratio, before now all of a sudden you got a two-to-five ratio, before you got a three-to-five ratio, and now you're the one being expelled from the community and made ashamed. It's all a matter of influence. He, you know, he doesn't say condemn them to hell. He says protect the streams of influence in your community. Right? I mean, when we're talking like who do I associate with, who do I disassociate with, Jesus is hanging out with sinners, but he's not being influenced by them. He's influencing them. Okay, it's, that's the direction of the influence, so it's game on, ministry time. But if you're associating with sinners, and we're all sinners, but if you're associating with a bunch of people that aren't even trying to live up to the standards of God, if it's not ministry, meaning you're influencing them, and they're influencing you into the degradation of your character in the Lord, well, then you've got to cut off those relationships, you know, and if, sure, there's somebody who's struggling in church community, and we can restore them gently into fellowship, well, then let's influence them. But if there's a group 
that are beginning to exert influence back on the whole of the community, well, you've got to cut off that platform. You've got to stop giving them the microphone so that you can preserve the very thing that you hope that those same individuals will one day return to. You know, so three things Paul establishes. He says that the church is both a community of contribution and God's marketing strategy to the world. So he says, preserve it by disassociating with troublemakers. And finally, number three, he has this to say, to the faithful, never tire of doing what is good. And he has to say it because guess why? They probably were getting tired. You know, you don't see something like this for no reason. There are folks who are faithful, who are doing the good, who are getting discouraged. And so he has to say, don't get tired, because we do get tired. Can you imagine? I know you can. Resistance and persecution is going on in the culture. You know, Paul said earlier in chapter 3, not all have faith. So you guys have all this hostility that exists around the church community. And even worse, you have all these false teachings. You have these rumors. And you have this dissonance in community drama and an obscuring of the gospel message that they're trying to live into from within the community. So he says, never tire of the good. And guys, good is good. Good is constructive. Good is beneficial. Good is the, you know, staying away from that idleness and apathy and bringing your contribution. That's the good, even when others are idle. You know, good is the life that wins the respect of outsiders. Good is the news that God has expressed His grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus, to provide forgiveness of sin through the cross and resurrection into His kingdom forevermore. And good is what these faithful were standing for. And I felt it. You know, here we are trying to build this good vision of the gospel for the culture to see. And then someone comes along with a bigger platform in the most belligerent way, ruining our reputation with outsiders. And I'm going, why? You know, here we are, a smaller platform. How did they get to that platform that they could do that much damage with the gospel? You know, here we are, you know, serving and giving, and then someone's coming along, and they're robbing God's people in God's name as a pastor. And that's, that's now the vocation in the minds of all these folks. You know, here we are, you know, times are difficult, so everyone's here arguing about, you know, the times and the days of Jesus' return, and it's causing these divisions in the body of Christ, and all the while, our culture is resisting everything that we stand for. Imagine trying to build a Lego set, and that's stressful already. Some of you guys, I mean, you know, a Lego set, no, Christmas is coming, <laughs> it's the time of year. But imagine you're trying to build a Lego set and there's three people sitting around you taking it apart as you put it together. Like, can you imagine that? And that's what it can feel like. But never tire. Do not give up. Keep building what is good. The good is good. You are joined to the light of Christ. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood or overcome it. Paul says one day death is going to be swallowed up with life. Get that eternal encouragement from the Lord that we talked about two weeks ago. You're not always going to get encouraged from the world. You're not always going to get encouraged from the community that exists around you. But God has that encouragement for you when you get tired to give you the strength to carry on with the good that he's called you into. 
You know, we're called the light of the world. You know, and so here we are. We want to cast this light, the light of Jesus to the world. And someone's going along, sometimes from our own community, knocking down the stand. What are we going to do? We're going to pick back up the stand. We're called to be a city on a hill. It's like a community that should stand out in the community of Huntington Beach that everyone can see, like the glory of God among us. And then you get to that city and it's in ruins. What are we going to do? We're never going to tire of the good. We're going to pick up the bricks and we're going to rebuild. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So here's two pastoral things I want to leave you with from this passage. Number one, the the church is a community of shared contribution. Along with these principles, I'm going to ask you a question. You know, the church is a community of shared contribution. Bring something to the table. Let's put in quality and get out quality. Let's host a potluck where no one goes home hungry. So my question is, where are you idle? Where are you freeloading. The church is based on shared contribution. Where are you idle? Where are you freeloading? And it doesn't just have to be like activity. It can be an attitude. You know, you can walk in here and be present for like a gathering like this, and you can be idle. You can be freeloading. You can be sitting back and, you know, waiting for me to impress you. You know, like I'm a performer or something for you. Like, like, you're laying there, and you're, you're going like, yeah, get me to care. I've seen the look on the face. You know, I know that they're, and, and it's strange because it's like, wait, you know, I'm not a performer. I'm a brother to you, my brothers and sisters. Like, we all want the same things. I think we all want the same things. And yes, I want to make this engaging. Yes, I want to motivate you and inspire you, but... Like, it's not my job to get you to care about the things that, like, God's calling you into and that are best for your life in walking with Him. But if, if half the room walks in with this idle mentality, just sort of checked out on Sunday, like, that's the tone of the room. It can just be one of five, and that can become the dominant tone of the room. It's the same thing in community group. You know, somebody's leading community group, opening up their home, they bake the brownies, and then you walk in, kind of shuffle in, you taste the brownies, you say, not even that good. Like, what is that? Seriously, though, like, that's that attitude of idleness, that attitude of freeloading. And I know it's going to be broken for some people this morning. They heard me talk about children's ministry, and they said, you know what? That isn't someone else's problem. That isn't a programmatic issue. This is my family. This is my church family. We're going to be better. We're going to thrive for my contributions because there's already so many who are contributing. For some of you financially, you know, you don't, you don't bring anything to the whole. And here you are in a space that we're only in because people are financially contributing that you have the seat that you're in. We suffer for lack because you don't bring, but others have brought in your place. We are going to thrive if we bring it together. The worship leaders, it's not their job to make you want to worship God. They're going to lead us in the worship of God, but... You know, if they look out there and people are just, uh, you know, like this through the songs, sing-along time, it's like, man, this, do you want to sing to God? They, they can help facilitate this. We can be a community that worships the Lord because we want to, or we can walk in and just be an idol and just kind of move through the time. Man, we're, gonna, we're all going to suffer for that, not just you, because you checked out. It sets the culture. It sets the tone for us. We all suffer for the lack of those contributions. Let's step up 
It's going to be for your benefit. It's going to be for the benefit of the whole community. Where am I idling? Where am I freeloading? And number two, the church is God's vehicle for sharing the good news of Jesus. So let's embody the good of the good news. I want it to be overtly obvious. I want there to be no question what the residents of Huntington Beach think about God because when they encounter the branches community and every Christian community in Huntington Beach for that matter, it's good. And so they draw a straight line. No mixed messaging. Mixed messaging can be just as confusing as bad messaging. Like what do they really stand for? It's obvious. You mix humanity and Jesus, you get good. You know, draw that straight line from our example to the message that we're carrying because it is so good. So my message to you is what what message are you carrying? What message are you sending through your life? Because you're being observed to the coworkers and roommates and to your own family. You know, what, what are they picking up on in you that relates to what you say you believe? I don't know if the pastors that were in that guy's car were assessing the message that they were conveying, but this guy was adding up everything. He was doing the math and he was coming up with his assumptions. And we have that in every environment that we're in with our spouses, with our kids, with our roommates, with our coworkers. They are surmising. They are interpreting a message from us. What message are we sending? We said we're doing this neighboring workshop a couple weeks back. And on the other side of the first announcement, two people signed up. And I said, ah, what does this mean for our church community? Like, that's, that's like one of the primary battlegrounds of, of the ministry. Like this is one of the main places where we're sending a message to the rest of the world. It's where we live. And only two people in the branches community want to think through and improve the message that they're sending about the gospel to their neighbors. Like, are people busy? Do we not understand our mission? Do we not know how important it is? Do we have this covered already? I was very encouraged. I looked this morning, 38 people signed up. And I said, all right, there's 38 people who are thinking about the message that they're sending to the people that they live around every single day. So I just want to encourage you, if, if you want to think through the message that you're sending, we've got a resource as a follow-up. Don't let anything get in your way. Maybe you've got other things going on. That's why you didn't sign up. Can't be because there's no child care. There's free child care. You hear that theme? Always free child care. You know why? Someone's contributing to make sure that there's no reason that you can't be at the resources that you and I require that are going to benefit us, benefit the whole body, benefit those who are not yet in relationship with God. So let's step into these calls. Let's step into these questions in a posture of prayer. You know, we we don't believe when we pray this is the part of the service when God's speaking to us. We believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through God's living word the entire morning. But this is where we can just reflect with the Lord. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do these questions mean for my life? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you made the church as a place of contribution. You, you set the standard. You didn't withhold anything, not even your own son. Jesus, you laid down your life. You said, I didn't come to lift up just my title and throw my weight around and be served. You came to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. So, Lord, where are we idling? Where are we 
just kind of freeloading in terms of our attitude or our participation in these different environments, God. It's so amazing. The church grew. It was just so alive when everything was coming together. Everyone was sharing all things in common. Nobody was exploiting that for themselves. So Lord, awaken that in us, not, not just in this like sense of guilt, I'm not doing enough, but like this desire, this want, this motivation for what we get to experience, what we get to share with others, God. That's what you built in the church, a place that in a world of self-interest, everybody just seems like they're in it for themselves, like there's going to be this community, this city within the city where it's totally different. It reflects your goodness. And God, we pray that too, that that you would just expand our message through the marketing, through the example that is our lives, our community. What message are we sending, God? What message am I sending? I know I, I nailed it for two minutes. Am I, am I doing that with the neighbor two doors down? Like, So, Lord, what is it for me? What is it for my brothers and sisters? What messages are they sending in the variety of places in their life? God, would you help us to make it not mixed messaging, it's just so clear. You're so good. What you brought for us is so good. The result in us is so good. So, Lord, let number one, that connection be made. The news that we are bearing about the gospel is good news. So, Lord, show us. What message are we sending? What are we saying to our spouse? What are we saying to our kids? What are we saying to our roommates? What are we saying to our coworkers, to our neighbors? Lord, convict us, not just to, to guilt us, God. Convict us so that you would bear fruit through us in the lives of those around us, that they would experience your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, just continue to speak to my brothers and sisters as we worship you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.